The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Turn in your copy of God's Word now to Colossians 4, will you? Colossians is in your New Testament, it's in those epistles, those letters after Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and then there's some little ones in there, you'll find Colossians chapter four will be the focus of our attention now for the next few moments. This morning we take another step in our walk with Christ and in this authentic series looking uh, at a few significant passages in the scripture on just how do we walk with Christ as authentic Christians. And you know what I love? I love the timeliness of God's word, don't you? Do you love just how timely uh, God's word seems to be sometimes where uh, whether it's a Sunday morning message or just a devotion that gets uh, sent to you to your inbox or something that a friend texts you or says to you, and it's like, that's exactly what I needed to hear. You ever had moments like that? just how timely God's spirit is with his word. And I'm just really amazed at even how that happens on Sunday mornings. And so you may not be aware of this, but I plan out a whole ministry year's calendar of messages months and months in advance. And so at the beginning of September here, we started a new ministry year. And so uh, I was planning out these chapters, these scriptures a long time ago. As a matter of fact, I'm always looking ahead. Like right now, I'm looking at what we're gonna be preaching and doing next fall already. And we build like our church calendar around all those things. And so we plan that out and then we preach through it. And then just how timely it is in our situation and the specifics of our circumstances in, in, a, in, in the life of our church, I am always amazed at how timely passages are. Today is no different. We need these verses for we have need of wisdom. We have need of wisdom. Anybody need some in here? I wanna be wise, right? I wanna be wise. You know one of the things that, just very interesting, you're, some of you are filling out those connect cards even now, and I, every week it seems that I get some pray for wisdom in the, my job situation. Pray for wisdom with my spouse or my kids, and I love to pray those types of prayers for you. It shows really your humility, your heart to follow Jesus in obedience, and so I love to pray this way. But what is wisdom? You ever thought about that? Maybe heard some long, like intelligent definition? You know, is wisdom an owl? An owl that's sitting on our shoulder? Oh, surely not, I don't think so. But here's how I would define wisdom very simply for you. Wisdom is truth applied. Wisdom is truth applied. It's living in light of our understanding of truth. It's living and making decisions in light of what we know is right. And so how can we distill that? What is truth? Well, Jesus is truth, is he not? He is the way, the truth, and the life, right? The gospel is the truth. And those are maybe simple answers. Obviously, truth and wisdom are much bigger than that. But as we walk in the word, as we walk in newness of life, as our guide and as our, uh, our new way of living, we come to understand these kind of two baseline things that I need Jesus and everybody else needs Jesus, right? 
I need Jesus and others need Jesus. And Colossians 4, verses 2 to 6, really show us how to apply those two truths. They teach us how to walk in wisdom. And so look in your copy now. I want to read these few verses for us, and then we'll unpack them for the rest of our time here. This is Colossians 4, 2 through 6, and they say this, Continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is God's word for God's people, and we need God's help in this, don't we? We do, we sure do. Hey, here's how we can summarize these verses. It's very simple. Walking with Christ means walking in wisdom. Walking with Christ means walking in wisdom. And my hope really as we uh, come to these verses now, we look closer at them, that, that they would be fuel for us to take the next step in these things. Who knows, who would acknowledge right now that they need to grow in their prayer life and in their witnessing? We all do. Who, who would acknowledge the priority of them in their life? We all do, I think, right? Who believes in the power of God working through our unceasing prayer and our unafraid witness? I hope we do, for these are our pillars. So as we seek to walk in Christ, let us be first wise in devoted prayer. Wise in devoted prayer. Look at verse two with me. These commands here are really so simple, so clear, aren't they? They really need no explanation. You don't need me to preach and to take them apart for you. You know what it means to continually or to continue steadfastly in prayer. There is no question about what we are to do. And we see these commands really all over the scripture, right? To continue steadfastly, it's similar to what Paul tells the Thessalonians. He says, pray without ceasing, right? He tells the church in Ephesians to be praying at all times in the spirit, Ephesians 6. We are to, this is a mark of our Christian faith to be continually disciplined, steadfast in our prayer life. But steadfastness is really a defining characteristic of what an authentic Christian is, isn't it? We've seen many passages over the last several months uh, where this has kind of come to the forefront. Authentic followers of Jesus don't give up and quit on the faith. We keep going, we keep believing, especially in prayer. We need Jesus, so we don't stop seeking him. Rather, we, we really keep our foot on the gas pedal of watchful, thankful prayer. You see how it's defined here? Do you see the characteristics of what our prayer life should be like, of what a wise, prayerful life is? It's to be steadfast, watchful, and what's that third one there? And thankful. It's to be thankful. Our, 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 our prayer life then, a wise prayer life, is one that is watchful. Now, that's, is that a term we use very often? Not necessarily, but our prayer life is to be defined by our alertness that we are awake, that we are eager and ready to pray at all times, 
that when we see a need in our own life or in somebody else's life, we are watchful for it and ready on the spot to pray in the moment to take our needs to the Lord. We are watchful in it just as a manner of life. But there's also the in the moment watchfulness that we all need too, don't we? How many of you, or maybe like me, we get in the midst of prayers, some of you probably do this when I'm praying because I start to pray a long time and then your mind starts to wander, right? Somebody's praying and then you're thinking about, oh yeah, but what am I having for lunch today? And what am I, what are, oh this, this, oh man, I have a to-do list at work and that kid over there is talking and then this is happening and something's going on and we're just like wandering way over here, right? We were to be watchful, mind engaged, alert while we are talking to the Lord. And you know what the Bible uses really as motivation for our alertness or our watchfulness in the scriptures? the fact that Christ could return at any moment. That's what's really, that's what, that's, that's what he's referring to here, I think, is the fact of Christ's imminent return. This, and as he's writing to these first century believers, some that were alive and maybe around that saw Christ ascend, and he said, hey, I'm coming back, and so they're like, okay, well, when's he coming back? Yeah, they are alert, like a kid at the window waiting for dad to come back from work. And we too, even though it's been several thousand years since Christ ascended into heaven, we are watchful in our prayers. We are motivated that Christ could come back at any point and there is work to be done for the gospel before then. We are to be watchful in our prayers. But we're also to be what? Thankful. There's that word again. I think the Lord has something to teach us in being thankful, right? Thankful worshipers, thankful servers, thankful prayers. What does he tell the Philippians in in Philippians 4? He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with thankfulness, make your requests, your supplications known to God and then the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. See, thankfulness is not just another section on our prayer list. Here's all my requests to God. Here's my thanks to God. Here's my adoration of God. Here's my confession to God. Here's my lament. No, 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 no. Thanksgiving isn't necessarily just another section, but rather it should flavor all of our communication with the Lord, whether we be lamenting, confessing, or praising God. It's interesting. It's it's actually kind of cute now. But our daughter Gemma, she's four, and one of the ways that she prays, if you hear her little four-year-old praying, she's, she begins every phrase in her prayers with, thank you, God. She'll say, Father in heaven, thank you for my friends, thank you for this food, thank you for daddy's eye hurting, thank you for uh, yeah, my dog, thank you. And, and, it's, and it's cute, right? And I pray that she never, even in, you know, just in her cuteness and her kind of you know, innocence as a kid at this point and how she's framing prayers, but, in, but isn't there something to be learned in that? Yes. yes, thank you, God, that I have this I thing. Thank you, God, for what you are teaching me. I mean, I have to fill in the gaps, you know, just in my own praying, but uh, it is teaching me to be thankful, you know? Thank you, God, that you're teaching me self-control and screen time. Thank you, God, that you're teaching me to rest and depend upon you. Thank you, God, that you're teaching me to slow down. Thank you, God, that you are, are, are allowing me an opportunity to interact with doctors and nurses and uh, an office staff that I would probably never otherwise cross paths with apart from this silly I thing. Praise the Lord, though, this week. I know many of you have been praying for me. 
And praise the Lord that the swelling and all that stuff has gone down. There's just a bit of scar tissue, but there's no more protrusion back there. And so I'm just very grateful, grateful that uh, God has answered our prayers. And my, I can see clearly. My vision has gotten worse, so I have to get an increased prescription. But thank you. Thank you for praying. And let's be a people that are praying thankfully. See, wise people are praying people. Are we not? Wise people are praying people, devoted, disciplined, dependent in prayer, not because we know everything, but because we know the one who knows everything, amen? Because we know the one who knows everything, and so as we walk into this new season, as we head into the fall, whatever is on your plate uh, this season, we must walk into it on our knees, on our knees before the Lord. And this fall, it, it all, the fall brings new rhythms to life, doesn't it? It just as, as school starts, as football comes back into play, work, all that, there's just new rhythms to our schedule. And can I just plead with you, in obedience to verse two here, to add prayer into the regular rhythms of your schedule. Add prayer, devoted, disciplined prayer. Take a list like this. We have them out at the connection table, I believe. We'll have them at step two. This thing, and it just has a prayer list, has some things on here that you can just set aside a few minutes, a few minutes of day to include prayer into the regular rhythms of your life, and then you will begin to pray as you go. It's just like working out, y'all. You set a time, you get a list and a plan, and you recruit a partner to come with you for accountability, right? I did this, you know, I, have, I work out on Tuesdays and Thursdays from five to six a.m. and I go to a class because they just tell me what to do and I don't have to think in that morning. I just, okay, 25 bicep curls, okay, we, can do, we do it. And I do it with Will and he's our accountability. Sometimes when we wake up at like four, there's a text, hey, I'm not gonna make it today. Okay, and then, there's, then you're on the press, but should I still go or should I just sleep in because I'm not, okay, I need to go, I need to go. And our adding prayer into the rhythms of our life is no different as we are continuing steadfast in what type of prayer? Watchful and thankful prayer. This is what should be, this is what should be true of our life. And you may be saying, okay, okay, I got it. I need to pray. I need to pray. I got it. I got it. But what, what do I pray? What do I pray? Well, verses three and four tell us we should pray for gospel opportunity. We should pray at gospel opportunity. Look at the connection in, in verse three. It says, at the same time, pray also for us. So as you're praying, pray for us. Paul and Timothy, who are the ones who wrote the letter. If you go back to chapter one, he's saying pray for us and pray this way. Pray for opportunities to talk clearly about Jesus in every circumstance. Pray for opportunities to talk clearly about Jesus in every circumstance. And somebody asks you to pray and you're like, well, how should I pray for you? Pray that they would be able to talk clearly about Jesus in that circumstance. See, we, we, we view our circumstances through the sovereignty of God, right? His purposes are gospel purposes. That is why he is carrying out his grand redemption plan. And our purpose here on this earth, our grand purpose as believers is the Great Commission, is that we would go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey or to keep all the commandments, all that Jesus has commanded us. And lo, he goes with us always, even to the end of the age. This is why we exist as individuals 
and as a church. We're to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission, to make, mature, and multiply disciples all for the glory of God. That is why you are here and why I am here, why he has given you the gifts and the talents and the treasure that he has given you. Gospel purposes, Great Commission purposes, and wherever he has you is for gospel opportunity. And so this is how we're to pray. We're to pray, God, open a door for them. Open a door for me, even in the most horrible of places. This is how we keep our eyes on Christ, how we remain steadfast, how we don't shrink back. See, Paul, did you notice it? He says, why I'm in prison. You're like, wait a minute. Pray that a door would be opened for the word? To declare the mystery of Christ on, then this is why I'm in prison, yeah. Paul likely here is writing while he's under house arrest, Roman house arrest, he's chained to a guard. And you could view his circumstances in prison as a massive setback, as a hindrance to the ministry that this man has carried out, as a, as a major disappointment. Or you can see it as an opportunity. He's not asking, hey, get me out of this place. He's actually praying, would God, would you open a door? God must have him there because someone needs to hear about Jesus. Someone needs to hear about the love of Christ. Someone needs the light of Christ, needs some encouragement. And Paul had this mindset. He had this mindset. He tells Timothy uh, in 2 Timothy, he says, I may be bound basically, but the word of God is not chained. Our circumstances may feel like we are chained. We are hindered. We are bound. A massive setback. But beloved, the gospel cannot be chained. It cannot be limited. It does not get sick. It does not get diseased. It never needs treatment. It cannot be broken. And so wherever God has you in life, whatever circumstances are around, whatever bad news you have recently received, whatever opportunities are before you, as you pray with and for one another, as you pray for yourself, let us shape our prayers in this same manner. As you have a job situation that is, ch is changing and you are considering all the various things that we need to to walk wisely, financial things, what uh, time commitments, what, what is this going to have, uh, you know, uh, what bearing is it gonna have upon my family? Let us also pray, God, as I make this decision, will this be an opportunity for the gospel? Would you open up a door to make known the mysteries of Christ? as you are seeking treatment for sickness or because you have a disease, you need some treatment. Pray for clear opportunity, clear speech, open doors. There must be a nurse, there must be a doctor, there must be someone in your family that needs to see what the hope and the peace of Christ has in your life, where you can declare the mystery of Christ, where you can live out the benefits of following Christ are all about. And we can do that whether we're in prison, whether we're free, whether we're sick, whether we're healthy, whether we're grieving, whether we're joyful. But we pray for gospel opportunity, clear speech, wise in prayer, wise in prayer, seeking gospel opportunity. But it goes further, because not only are we to pray for it, we are also to live it out. Do you see the second imperative, the second command in verse five? We are to be wise and purposeful witness. 
wise and purposeful witness, or as verse five says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. See, if this is what we are praying for, then let us live it out. This is what? This is wisdom, is it not? This is truth applied. We prayed for opportunities, and then let us take the opportunities as they come. See, we, our manner of life must also match our prayer life. Our manner of life must match our prayer life. As this is how we are praying, then let us live it out. He uses these terms here of insiders and outsiders. Do you see that? There are those in God's family and there are those outside of God's family. It's our job really to go after them as believers. See, if you, if you are not following Christ today, that you are an outsider. There's a scary place to be but it is not closed off to you who would come and just say, God, I repent of my sin that keeps me outside of your family and I place my faith in Christ and it is through Christ that I can be in the family of God. You wanna be an insider? Believe on Christ today. Believe on Christ and he will not turn you away. Believe in your own self, try to break in, not gonna happen. There's no forging birth certificates in this way. There's no busting down the doors, God opens the door. You just come humbly, repentant, believing that Christ did what you couldn't do to get you in. And then in grace and mercy, says, come on in and then opens up a door to a new, beautiful, abundant life that you could never imagine possible. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And we pray for these opportunities, and we as believers who know that live in purposeful witness. See, how we live matters, does it not? Our reputation speaks volumes, does it not? See, unbelievers, outsiders have all the reasons in the world for not believing, but our reputation should not be one of them. Our reputation should not be one of them. As a matter of fact, it should be a a means to bring them in. It should be an attractant. We can't ever, well, we can't really always recover from hypocrisy, but we can live a life that unbelievers say, I want that. I want that authenticity. Not that we have to be hypocritical and be like, hey, my life's all great all the time. Yes, problems, not in my life. No, it's our authenticity. It's our realness, our genuine uh, desire to follow Christ. It's the purpose that Christ gives. And as we live that out, it's this type of life that opens up doors for gospel opportunity, the type of opportunities that we pray for and then walk through with boldness. And many of you have experienced this in your life. As you do, as you are living a winsome witness, as you are living a purposeful life, then all of a sudden you have coworkers asking in, in the midst of like high pressure job situations. You're like, why, why are you at peace like this? The boss is yelling at you and, you and you're responding differently. Coworkers are asking, well, why? All of a sudden you have classmates friends asking, workout partners, maybe even the instructor asking like, hey, what's, what is different about you? 
And those opportunities that you've been praying for, now the door is wide open and we walk through making the best use of the time. Let me ask this. Are you walking through your life purposely, purposefully? Are you just kind of going with the flow? Do you live life intentionally knowing that the time is limited and that we need to make the best use of it for the greatest impact in the gospel? Are you making decisions in your life with gospel motivations? Your decisions about the educational and recreational activities that you enroll your kids in? Are you making decisions about the house that you live in, the neighborhood that you live in, the vehicle that you drive that are gospel-driven motivations? Let me ask this, how many hours of the week are you devoted to purposeful witness of being among unbelievers to invest in the many gospel needs of our city, in our schools, among the least of these? See, the command here implies that we are among outsiders, and so we, we must be among them. Beloved, here, here's the reality. We've been given the greatest truth in the world, right? We have the solution to the world's problems in Christ, do we not? So we must reach out. We must get that out. We must be among, walking among outsiders with wisdom, making the best use of their time. Wisdom says, I need Jesus, I know it. Others need Jesus. And it communicates that with our manner of life, but also our manner of speech. Our manner of speech. Do you see where it goes in verse six here? We must be wise and winsome speech. It must be wise and winsome speech. See, what, what Paul is bringing together here is this reality is that it's not enough just ha- to have the content right, but it's also we, we must have the way that we communicate right. We must have the manner in which we speak is important. How we say things is just as important as what we say, right? How we say things is just as important as what we say. And we know people get hoodwinked all the time, right? How many of us have bought something on a late night TV infomercial just because the person was like compelling? Like I never knew I needed that, but now I do. And for three easy payments of 19.99, I can not only get one of these, but I can get two. And if I do it in the next 15 minutes, I can get four of them. How many of us have bought a car that we didn't think we need or a bigger one or a different one because the salesman was, you know, he was just good at his job? How many churches are filled to the brim with prosperity preachers? You know, kind of the slick rick salesman and telling us that just about how great we are and really missing much of the gospel. And our speech is not to be slick and salesy, is it? Is that the type of winsome witness that God wants us to be? No, by, I mean, we're not selling anything. We're not peddlers of the word of God, Paul says, the Corinthians. But our speech is to be gracious, salty, and informed. See, the packaging is important, isn't it? The packaging is important. How many times you go to the grocery store with your kids and what do they want? All the bright colored things along the aisle, right? And usually the brighter colored it is, the, how uh, you know, uh, flamboyant and attractive it is, is usually uh, the contents on the inside are probably the, you know, the worst for us to consume, right? But all the healthy things, we go to like the organic aisle and they're just kind of like earth tones. They're kind of like you know, the, these you know, earthy hues. It's like, I don't really want to eat dirt and grass but the contents inside are probably the best for us. 
I don't know why, they should make that stuff like all attractive and bright and pastel-y. And our kids would probably go for it, as would we, right? Beloved, what I'm saying here is packaging is important. Is it the most important thing? Probably not. If we had to weigh them out, is the truth, is the content of our message, is that what's most important? Yes, but the packaging is, is very important. How we speak as gracious, salty, informed believers is so important. It is so important. See, look at, look at what he says there in verse six. I want you to underline that word always. Let your speech always. Underline that. Pull out your pen in your Bible, in your digital Bible. Highlight it, whatever you want to do. Always, no matter what, who you are with, insiders, outsiders, friends, family, spouses, kids, parents, who, no, there's, whoever you're with, our speech is always to be gracious, salty, and informed. There is no one to whom we can be with who are just like, well, that's just how I speak. Well, I'm just a blunt person. Well, this is just, I just say it like I see it. Not if you're an authentic Christian. Not if you're an authentic Christ follower. Then we are to always be growing in our speech this way. Let your speech always be gracious. See, those of us who've experienced grace should extend the same graciousness. Grace makes us gracious in the same way that God's love makes us loving, in the same way that we've experienced the forgiveness of God, it makes us forgive one another. And to withhold that leaves room to say, like, you may not have experienced the grace of God, but grace makes us gracious. We leave room, we're not insistent, we're not aggressive, we're not offensive, we're not manipulative. But grace, rather, in our speech, it makes us empathetic. It makes us kind. It makes us understanding. It, it allows us to have a conversation with one another that is reciprocal, that desires to hear the opinions and the preferences and the, the information that somebody else has to say. Graciousness also allows us to overlook offenses. Graciousness causes us to be self-controlled and not to always respond to things. For some of us, the delete button is probably the most important button on our keyboard. How many times should we, we see something we're just like baited in on, on our uh, Facebook feed? A comment that's probably, yeah, very ignorant, very hurtful, maybe very, even racist. How many times have we gotten a text or an email and we, wanted, we type something out and we're like, Argh. we just need to hit the delete button. So our speech is to be winsome, it's to be gracious, it's to be uh, uh, attractive or Salty, you see that? Seasoned with salt. Now how can we have salty speech? It's to be flavorful, it's to be attractive, it's, it adds meaning and value to the conversation in a person's life. Salty speech is thoughtful and compelling. See, when is salt best on our food? <laughs> when it's seasoned appropriately, right? When it enhances the flavor. It's, it's the worst when it's like coated, right? He's not saying let your, se let your speech be coated with salt. No, just seasoned. And when it's overdone, when it's like dumped on and, you know, like our kids, they just like pile it on. The more, the better. No, no, we just dust our fries with salt. We don't dip our fries in salt, <laughs> right? Speaking of that, here's a life hack. If you, if you choose to eat at a, at a uh, fast food restaurant um, and you wanna make sure that you have like the best hot, you know, freshest fries that haven't been maybe sitting under the warmer or something like that, order fries without salt. 
Because then they'll just make them right up and you know that they will be hot off the press, crisp and, you know, all, making you all probably hungry. If you do that, and then you can take them. Probably if you're going through the drive-thru, maybe not best. And then you can just go in the little, like, napkin place and you can take a salt packet and you can salt them, all that afterwards, if you want salt on it. But if you want to ensure that you get the best, freshest, crispest, golden french fries at a fast food place, sort them without salt. I used to work at McDonald's in high school, and so I learned that trick. Um, Anyways, where are we at? <laughs> Our speech is always to be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that what, here's, here's how we're ending, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Our, gra- our speech is to be gracious, salty, and informed. And informed, it's to be knowledgeable and understanding, especially about the faith. Here's what this doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we have to be know-it-alls that you can't be a witness, a winsome witness, that you can't have purposeful, winsome speech until you know everything, until you've gone through, uh, read through the Bible a hundred times, until you've gone to seminary and all that. Those things are great, but what it is meaning is that we should be growing in these things, that we should be growing in our understanding so that we can have more intelligent, more engaging conversations. What it does mean is that we aren't afraid to engage in just real, authentic conversations with unbelievers. And we are able to take those real life questions about life and faith and Christ and the scriptures and that we, that we can know how to answer somebody. And we don't have to be afraid like, oh, I'm not gonna do it because what if they ask me a question I don't know and then it's gonna make me look dumb? Hey, let me just let you off the hook here. Just like being able to, you know, one-up somebody in a conversation about the Lord is not what it's about. It's not about winning an argument. And then that if you just like all of a sudden back them into a corner with Jesus and they're left nowhere to go, that they're like, okay, I give up, I surrender, I'm gonna turn to Christ. Now there are some things that... Sometimes God does use persuasive speech and arguments for the faith that bring people through reason to the faith. But what this, what this verse is teaching us here is that knowing how to answer is different than knowing all the answers. Sometimes the best answer we can give to a, you know, a friend, a coworker who's asking, is like, you know what, that's a really good question and I don't know all the answers, and I don't want to just tell you wrong right now, but I'm committed, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna look it up, I'm gonna talk to some friends, I'm gonna call my pastor, I'm gonna uh, get, go back and look at some of the resources I have, and then let's, let's get together tomorrow morning, and I'd love to continue this conversation. That can be one of the most authentic, real, purposeful, uh, in, uh, intentional conversation that you can have with somebody. They're like, wow, this is for real. And then you come back and and, and you just keep on the conversation, answering them and pointing them to Christ so that you may know how you ought to answer. See, it's this type of speech that is winsome, isn't it? Especially in our polemic age of, of hate and vitriol, where somebody who doesn't see things the same way is automatically your enemy and the worst person in the world, someone that we have to uh, push away. Our world expects to engage in conversation this way that's very confrontational, that's very uh, aggressive and in their face, and and when we answer in a gracious, salty, informed way, it really throws people for a loop. They don't know how always to answer, yeah? This type of speech also is just in in kind of the crass, hardened, rough places that maybe we work, 
or that, we, that our kids are involved in, this type of gracious, <laughs> salty, and form speech just kind of like deflates all the joking and put downs and you know, that where that stuff is just the norm. But see, authentic Christians are set apart. We're distinct, we're distinct for in one way in our manner of speech in the way that we communicate with one another and with outsiders. It's called, as one theologian puts it, convictional kindness. And we can be men and women of conviction, of deeply held beliefs, but kind in the manner in which we communicate it. Because, beloved, we know the one who takes the word of God, whose power is in the word of God and not in our own speech. And when we communicate this way, it opens up gospel opportunities. It opens up God is at work in our lives. See, as we pray, as we share the gospel, it is more about the work that God is doing, or it is just as much as, just as much about the work God is doing in our life as it is in the work of other people, as he is teaching us to be devoted and disciplined in prayer, as he is teaching us to be bold in the midst of the opportunities that he gives us. And these things, they make us wise in the midst of societal foolishness. But God is at work. Redemption, prayer, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, these are two of our pillars, are they not? These are two of the things that our church stands upon, that we believe about, that these pillars, that God works through these means. And it's not just when we gather, but it is the daily work that God is doing in your life and in your heart as he is changing it and growing it and maturing you and sanctifying you more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ by his spirit and for his glory. Amen? Amen. To walk with Christ is to walk in wisdom, and this is a wisdom that is much different than worldly wisdom. It is a wisdom that says, I need Jesus, therefore I must pray. Others need Jesus, therefore I must witness. This is what we do. Let's pray now. God in heaven, we want to be wise. We want to uh, follow you. Lord, and so we need help in this. And so even as, we, as we're praying right now, God, we're just asking, Lord, as a people of God, we're asking, God, would you help us to be steadfast for your glory? We just confess, even, even now, as we're, as we're here, as we're praying these things, God, would you, uh, would you forgive me for uh, my apathy? Would you forgive me for my fear in these things? Just this week, out in my own life, I was too afraid to pray and share the hope that I have. Forgive me for that. <coughs> God, there's other situations. Many of us in here know those. Uh, maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it's a child or friends, a coworker that desperately needs you. And so here now, God, as your people, we, we just say their name. We just lift them to you. Say, open a door that I might declare the mystery clearly. Open a door that we might uh, proclaim the name of Christ, the hope that we have in him. And God, we just are asking, Lord, would you make our speech winsome? Would you help us to tame our tongue? We need your help in that, Lord. 
we're thankful that you give it because you are more powerful than we are. So come quickly, Lord, come quickly. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.